Uh, some of you will be aware of this, but in 2032, uh, it will be the Brisbane Olympic Games. It's exciting, isn't it? Uh, if I'm still around, I'll be 50. Uh, and that means now is the time, if you want to get picked for the Olympics, uh, now is the time to start developing a skill, isn't it? Uh, in one of the less popular, the less known uh, sports, uh, pistol duelling, perhaps, uh, badminton, you start training now and you may just get picked. Uh, some of you may remember that in the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games started off with a bit of a scandal. Uh, the, the beautiful nine-year-old Chinese girl in that red dress, she sung the, the opening ceremony and stole the hearts of the world. But she actually wasn't really singing. Uh, she was miming to a backing tape sung by another Chinese girl, the seven-year-old Yang, who could actually sing. Uh, there's the girls on the screen. Apparently, Yang was replaced by Lin at the last minute. Uh, Yang was originally chosen to sing because she could actually sing. She was the best. But at the final rehearsals, a senior political leader wasn't happy. And it wasn't her voice that was the problem. It was her looks. And so they did the old switcheroo. Uh, Mr Chen, the, the music director of the opening ceremony, he said that the reason for the switch was for the national interest. It just wouldn't have been right to put the ugly girl on the world stage. Beauty wins over talent. What do you have to do to get picked? Uh, be the best or be the most beautiful? Apparently, you know the old tele-evangelists, I was reading a book recently, apparently they would put the more beautiful people in the aisle seats so that for the television broadcast, the beautiful ones would be on display. So often beauty wins, doesn't it? Uh, it's the beautiful that get picked. Now, yeah, you're thinking, you're, I'm sitting in the aisle seat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> If, if beauty wins over talent in our culture, and it often does, firstborn sons win over everyone else in the ancient Near East, the culture which the book of Genesis is set in. Boys always win, especially the firstborn. The firstborn son gets the family name, the family home. The firstborn gets the inheritance. As we look at Genesis 25 all the way through to chapter 27, God chooses which of two brothers he will bless. Uh, who of Isaac's sons will God bless, the firstborn or not? What do you have to do to get picked? Well, the story begins, you may have noticed, with birth uh, in chapter 25, verse 19 to 28. But before we, before we get there, there's another struggle with infertility. You see verse 1, if your Bible's in front of you, we read, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. To be unable to fall pregnant uh, is a huge grief. It's heartbreaking for, for married couples uh, who long for children. 
But it's especially a tragedy here as God's covenant promises to Abraham and then to Abraham's son Isaac depend on children. Now from verse 26, we can figure out that it was 20 years before Rebecca falls pregnant. That, that's a very long time of waiting, isn't it? Almost as long as Abraham and Sarah waited. The Bible says in verse 21 that Isaac prayed for Rebekah. The next verse says the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah fell pregnant. God's word is saying here that, that falling pregnant is God's doing, God's gift. Today, you know, we may bypass natural processes to have babies. We might think that, that human life is something we create. But it's always God's gift, whether babies are conceived and born naturally or conceived and implanted with the help of technology. Anyway, Jacob and Esau, they're the boys, God's gift to Isaac and Rebekah. But before the, before the twins are even born, God tells Rebekah of the boys' different destinies. As they're kind of bluing in the womb, Rebekah asks, what's the deal? And in verse 23, the Lord says, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Verse 23 here is a, it's a key verse. God shows his choice of the younger over the older. But that's not how things go in the ancient Near East. It's meant, it's meant to be the other way around. How do you get picked? Well, you have to be the eldest son. That was the community rule. But God isn't bound by human rules and traditions. He's willing to disregard human expectation. And we see that especially at the cross of Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. The world thinks he's a loser. Jesus is a king who serves. The world thinks that he's soft. Jesus forgives his enemies. The world thinks that he's naive. Jesus rises from death to life. The, the world thinks that that is impossible. And all of this means that following Jesus takes great courage because the news of Jesus challenges human expectation, challenges cultural expectations. How do you get picked? Talent? Beauty? Working harder than, than everybody else? No, the God of the Bible challenges human expectations. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians to his, his listener, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called to come and trust in Jesus. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That verse 23 is also a key verse because it shapes, it shapes the rest of the story. While Jacob and Esau will be responsible for their own actions, God will make sure that Jacob and not 
Esau will end up with the favoured status. Yeah, we should keep that in mind as we read uh, of Esau selling his birthright and as dodgy Jacob steals Esau's blessing in chapter 27. God's plan to bless Jacob and not Esau will be fulfilled, but God doesn't bypass the people, the human actors and their circumstances. They make their own choices. They're responsible for the choices that they make. That said, the sovereign God can use our choices and life circumstances to bring about his plans. Nothing will finally get in the way of God fulfilling his plan of salvation. It's interesting you notice, as it was read, how Isaac and Rebecca pick favourites. This is a massive parenting no-no, isn't it? You don't pick a favourite kid, by the way, if you're doing that. It seems, though, that Isaac, he likes Esau better than Jacob, verse 28. Why? Because Esau is good at hunting and Isaac has a taste for wild game. That's my favourite kid because he can bring the meat. I like you more because you can give me what I like. And Jacob, favoured by Rebekah, we're not told why, but perhaps while hanging around the tents, they cook together. Maybe he's a good listener. Who knows? As we kind of keep reading the narrative with the chapters and the generations to come, we see something of the generational mess that this favouritism causes. The next section in chapter 25, verse 29 to 34, it's all about that birthright. Here we see the destinies of Esau and Jacob unfold. Esau comes home, you know, he's been out hunting and he's desperate for a feed. His brother happens to be cooking a, a stew. And in verse 30 we read, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob refuses. Unless there's something in it for him, verse 31, first sell me your birthright. Sure, you can have some stew, but give me your birthright. Esau was the firstborn son, so everything was going to him. But like so many of us, Esau wasn't thinking ahead. He, he didn't play out the future consequences of his impulsive actions. He just wanted what he wanted right now he was hungry. Verse 32 says, Look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? And Jacob takes the opportunity. Verse 34, so Esau, Esau despised his birthright. Now, while the text doesn't comment on Jacob's actions, it's not to say that the Lord approves of what he does. Reading between the lines, the Bible is saying God is bringing about his plans for Jacob and Esau while they're also fully responsible for their own actions. The fact that verse 34 says Esau despised his birthright, it shows that Esau is responsible for losing his birthright to Jacob. 
though it doesn't excuse Jacob's manipulative behavior. The text teaches what the Bible affirms over and over again elsewhere, that God is sovereign and we are responsible for our own actions. God's word teaches that these truths, that the Bible holds them in tension without ever explaining or resolving the tension. It's a tension we see at the cross with Jesus, isn't it? Sinful human beings like us, we're responsible for crucifying Jesus. Your sin and my sin nailed him to the cross. But God actually planned for Jesus to die before the creation of the world. Anyway, in Genesis 26, you notice the focus shifts to Isaac. Isaac is blessed by God. This is the repetition. Isaac is blessed. Isaac is blessed. Even a bloke called Abimelech recognises Isaac is blessed and makes a treaty with him. And while the focus for just a moment switches to him, in chapter 26, it impacts the Esau and Jacob story. Uh, Because Genesis 27 is all about who gets the blessing from Isaac. Isaac is blessed. Isaac is blessed. Isaac is blessed. Who gets it? And Genesis 27 is just really interesting, isn't it? Another colourful narrative. It starts with the old man, Isaac, calling his firstborn son, his favourite son, Esau, as he prepares to die. And he asks for his favourite meal before he gives his blessing to Esau. And in lots of ways, this is a really touching scene. Son will cook father a favourite meal. Father will give son his blessing. But something's disturbing, sort of lurking in the background. Mum and younger son are plotting in verse 5 to 17. Mum is hell-bent on getting the blessing for her favourite boy. Nothing will get in her way. Even when Jacob expresses some reluctance uh, in verse 13, she says, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Her scheme involves her younger son deceiving his father so that he can snatch the blessing from his, his big brother. And Jacob carries out the the, the deception on his father in verse 18 to to 29. And you notice that the lies just roll from Jacob's lips. He lies to Isaac about who he is in verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn son. He lies to Isaac about how he got the meat. Verse 20, the Lord your God gave me success. And when Isaac gives Jacob the the chance to to fess up, he lies again in verse 24. Are you really my son Esau? Says Isaac, I am. He replied. And convinced it's Esau, Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob will be blessed with material prosperity. Jacob will be blessed with superiority over nations and his brothers. Jacob will be blessed with God's protection. 
You see that in verse 28 and 29. I guess the tragic part of this story is verse 30 to 40, where neither Isaac or Esau have any idea what has just happened. They're just innocent victims in a cruel deception. Isaac can't believe he's been tricked by his younger son. Verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? The amazing thing here is, despite the deception the blessing to Jacob still stands and won't be undone. You see verse 33? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. (laughs) Poor Esau. Can't Isaac take back the blessing and, and reissue it to Esau? Verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, bless me too, my father. It's both a painful and pathetic scene. And in one sense, of course, we're meant to feel sorry for both Isaac and Esau. But feeling sorry won't bring back the blessing. God had already decided their destinies. He'd already chosen the younger son over the older. The the sneaky and conniving rat wins. While poor pathetic Esau plans revenge against Jacob. Uh, Romans chapter 9 uses this story as an example of the, the mystery of God's sovereign choice. Why God chooses one son but not the other. Why Jacob and not Esau? Was Esau undeserving? Was Jacob really any better than Esau? Was it that God could see that Jacob would be more faithful than Esau? While Jacob and Esau are clearly accountable for their actions, Romans 9 says God's choice had nothing to do with either of them were deserving of it. Uh, Romans 9, uh, 11 and 12 reads, Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. God's sovereign choice is not about the worthiness of the one who is called. It's all about the amazing graciousness and love of the God who calls us. Romans 9 verse 16 says, It it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Whether it's Jacob and Esau or, or, or you and me, none of us deserve to be chosen by God. That's a radical idea because we're so used to having criteria for choosing someone. What do I have to do to get picked? We choose people on the basis of beauty and and talent or or hard work or, or popularity. But God's sovereign choice is not like that. It's more like, um, 
talking about the Olympics. You know Bradbury, Stephen Bradbury? Uh, the 2002 Winter Olympics, the 1,000 metre ice skating semi-final. Bradbury won the semi only because a crash wiped out all the other skaters. And in the final, Bradbury was coming dead last. Just metres from the finish line, there was that pile-up. You, you remember it? Involving all the other skaters. And so Bradbury just cruised on past for gold. Bradbury wasn't the fastest skater in the world. It was a fluke that he was even in the final. It was outrageous. That's what God's sovereign choice is like. It's not about the most deserving or, or, or the most talented or the hardest worker or even the most beautiful. It's, it's all about grace. Grace defies all human expectations. It's about the last coming first. It's about the older serving the younger. God's call on your life is a gift. How about we pray in response? Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the mess that is Genesis. Lord, it's hard to, to read it without really noticing the, the sin and the selfishness of the people. And Lord, as we reflect on what we're like, we, we confess to you that we are selfish and sinful too. That we're undeserving of your most wonderful grace. Lord, we thank you that you are calling people to come and trust in Jesus all over the world. A call that is not based on beauty or intellect or some other criteria, but based on your sovereign choice. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be calling more and more people to trust and follow Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us who are here this afternoon recognise that, that you want us to come to you. And, Lord, we praise you that you are a life-giving, a gift-giving God. And we thank you so much that it is by grace we are saved through faith, the gift of God. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.